Amen. Great. Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. Coming through loud and clear. Okay, great. Lovely to see some new faces in the room. Definitely see some new faces. If you're new, if this is your first week or your fifth week, if you feel, you're, feel like you're new, you're really welcome here. Um, I'm going to ask us to do one thing. Ask us to sit up straight in our chairs. Play, pla- place your feet flat on the ground if you can. Just feel, feel the floor beneath you. Maybe close your eyes for a moment and just rest, feeling the, f- the floor beneath you, holding your feet, feeling the chair holding you up, and just your sense of presence in the room. We just kind of center ourselves. And I'm just going to pray what is called a prayer of approach, just to still our hearts. Lord, as we enter prayer now, we pause to be still, to breathe slowly, and to recenter our scattered senses upon the presence of God. As we've been singing, Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have to say? Amen. So we've been in this series, if you're new you'll maybe not know about it, um, called Steps of Faith, From the Known to the Unknown. And I keep saying that every week. We're looking at the lives of the ancients, as we call them, these men and women whose stories are recorded in the scriptures, the holy scriptures, um, the sacred text uh, that Christians um, uh, look to our faith for. And there's stories in there of these men and women, these ancients, who help us understand what does it mean to live life with the divine? What does it mean to live life in communion with, with God? And also today's Pentecost Sunday. Um, Dan's already mentioned that. And if you're new here again, um, you've got to know that we kind of like the Christian calendar. Like we're kind of a slightly strange in that way. We love a little bit of charismatic. We love a little bit of liturgy. Uh, we do love the Christian calendar. Perhaps we need to teach a little bit more into that. And one of the reasons why particularly I love it, maybe you don't love it, but I think we want to learn to love it. <laughs> I'm going to advocate for it because it, it's a mapping of the story that we're part of. It's the whole story of God, the story of Christ, mapped kind of helpfully onto the 12 months of the year so that we can live through the story every year. And it's like, doesn't that get a little bit boring. It kind of doesn't because we, we really are forgetful that we kind of need to remember and be reminded. And in fact, the way that we interact, for example, this year with Pentecost is going to be very different than the way we reacted last year because the story intersects with our lives at a different point. There's all sorts of things going on in our lives and that's where the Spirit, in fact, meets us in our story and, and there's an intersection happening. So the Christian calendar helps us to, it helps us with our forgetfulness. It helps us pay attention to this story that we're in from Advent through to Lent, through to Easter, and now Pentecost, which marks the end of a season called Easter. Did you know that Easter isn't a day? It isn't even a long weekend. It's actually a 50-day season, and it ends with Pentecost. So here we are. We're at the end of Eastertide, um, the day of Pentecost, and you just got to know that we love the Christian calendar. So there you go. And essentially, you can think of Pentecost as the birthday of the church. That's, the, that's a really great way to think about Pentecost. It's the birth. It's essentially the celebration of this thing that we call church in all its beauty and its complexity um, and all its confundity and all its frustration and all its beautifulness, beauty. It's the birthday of the church. And 
the birthday of the church happens with the Spirit of God poured out upon people. And I want to talk about that this morning. If there was ever a story that kind of captured steps of faith, moving from the known to the unknown, moving into unchartered territory, it perhaps is this, what you might call a cataclysmic event of Pentecost that we find we find it in the book of Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone app, or in fact, it will come up on the screen, Acts 2, it'll be the, it'll be the next slide actually, um, Dwayne, I'm going to set this up a little bit. Um, the book of Acts, so I'm watching Obi-Wan Kenobi at the minute. Anyone watching Obi-Wan Kenobi? Any Star Wars fans in the room? It's so good, like, yeah. Um, Acts is kind of like Star Wars. Let me, let me, bear with me. So you have those individual movies, just a story that's contained, and then you have, you know, a sprawling multi-volume story that's told over in different chapters. It's a bit like Star Wars, somewhere between movie three and four. We have Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. It is a bit of a weird analogy, but in a sense, the book of Acts is a second part of a two-book volume, and it's, it's, it starts with the Gospel of Luke. It's written by Luke. Um, the first volume of this two-volume set is the Gospel of Luke, and Luke is this physician. He's a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul, and so I guess you can think of the Acts of the Apostles as the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, if you're just interested. That's kind of a good way to think about it. The full title, as he just mentioned, the Acts of the Apostles, is a bit of a strange kind of mouthful, but it includes many stories from people who, in fact, weren't apostles at all. So, and then some commentators that have read actually would say, perhaps, you know, the most consistent actors in this volume are Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and perhaps we could call the book the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But the point here is there's a continuing story here. That's the big point I'm making. There's a continuation of this story. There's a cascading story that is unfolding, and it's unfolding, and we find ourselves in that story as followers of Jesus. So Acts 1 begins with um, Jesus' ascension, um, Ascension Sunday, if it's the Christian calendar, and he returns to be with his Father. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Dwayne had that slide up on the screen. Jesus leaves his followers with this verse, and he, he's kind of predicting Pentecost. He's kind of saying, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus predicts this. He returns to the heavens, to be with his father. Um, I, I'm not going to get into that. I'm nearly going to just go on a tangent there about ascension. But Acts chapter 2, so you've got Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read this whole thing because it's really, I think the public reading of Scripture is really good. So it's a long passage, but let's do it. We're in church. Let's read the Bible together. How about that? Um, so Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at the sound the crowd gathered and were bewildered because each one of them heard speaking in the native language of each other. Amazed and astonished, they asked, <clears throat> are not all these here speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? 
Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, I did practice this earlier, <laughs> Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we heard them speaking about God's deeds of power. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said they were filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. Can I just pause there for a second? It's quite funny the way Peter, he doesn't like excuse not drinking, he just says, we're not drunk because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. That's what we're not drunk. It's just an interesting detail. Sorry. So that this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves both men and women, in these days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I shall show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here ends the reading. So, there we go. Long, long passage. I guess we kind of have to ask, like, what's really going on here? Um, thousands of Jews have traveled to Jerusalem. I'm going to teach a little bit into this, give you a little bit of context, so bear with me. Thousands of Jews have traveled to Jerusalem for the, festival, for the festival of Pentecost. If you go back and you read the Old Testament, you'll discover that Pentecost, it was actually like a Jewish feast. <clears throat> it's not just a Christian thing. A lot happened. Um, obviously, we're going to get into that now. But if you actually read about that, um, there's five or six kind of references to this. Essentially, it wasn't called Pentecost because that's a Greek term. It's the Jewish feast of Shavuot, meaning the feast of harvest or the feast of weeks. So it's like a Thanksgiving celebration for the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Um, it was later known as a a remembrance of the law given to Moses, but primarily it was a celebration of the first harvest. Yes, there were two harvests. In Palestine, there are two harvests every year. The earliest harvest comes in May, and then the, <clears throat> the last harvest comes in the fall. So that's what the Jews were descending upon Jerusalem. Think, um, whether you're into this or not, think about the Jubilee and think about the thousands of people have kind of like flocked to London, like festival that's what's happening here in Jerusalem for a particular reason. Um, so Pentecost was this pilgrim festival. Um, so there was kind of like an expectation that all Jewish men would go to it, no matter kind of what strata of the society you were from. It was a holiday, so there was no work to be done. Schools were out, shops were closed. You kind of get the sense, like a bank holiday, <laughs> party time. And there were certain celebrations, sacrifices, and offerings being made as prescribed in the law for the day of Pentecost. The high priest would perform some of those. And in short, as I say, it's a celebration of a grand harvest. And so the streets of Jerusalem, can you imagine it, clogged up with thousands of pilgrims who've come from every corner of the compass, every corner of uh, the known world at that time, to celebrate 
the goodness of God in bringing the wheat harvest. That's the context. And the apostles, these followers of Jesus, are still there in the city. And they're participating in the feast, um, along with, I mean, I don't know how many there would have been, gathered in an upper room. And this strange phenomenon happens. We talk about a violent wind. We just read about that. Or divided tongues of fire. There was uh, the Holy Spirit descended on them, and they were speaking different languages. And that's why the outsiders kind of thought, you know, they are drunk with wine, because um, it didn't make sense that they were speaking all of these languages. Such a strange event, all sorts going on in this passage. But we guess we need to know, and we've been singing about it today, um, images of wind, Jesus come like the wind. We were singing heaven fall down, this interesting language that we have. Wind and fire in the scriptures represent this idea of heaven meeting earth. And that heaven meeting earth is a really fundamental idea to how we understand our faith. Like the burning bush with Moses, it's fire, it represents the presence of God or heaven breaking in, some other dimension breaking into this dimension, some other reality breaking in, some other world breaking in. The giving of the commandments at Sinai is another example. You can chart this through. So here in this story, we have this strange phenomenon with wind and fire in an upper room in the context of a bustling city. Something different is going on there. And I guess here's the first big idea I'd love to talk about today, that the presence of God has come in the Holy Spirit, but it has come to be in a people. It's come to be in a people. So here's a way to think about this, that the room has become temple space. That upper room has become temple space the place where heaven and earth touch or meet. It's kind of unbelievable. And in ancient times, when a new kingdom was dawning, there would be a king raised up, and there would be a temple built. And in a sense, here we have Jesus raised up as, the, as king in his resurrection, and ascended in power to the right hand of the Father, which is a very political act. We don't get into that now. But then in Acts 2, so that happened in Acts 1, Acts 2, we then have the temple built, but it's a different kind of temple. Um, it's in fact a people, and the Holy Spirit fills this new temple. So there's a king raised up, and there's a new temple. Jesus resurrected, and the story of God is essentially that. If you, don't, if you take away nothing today, think about that. The whole story of God in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is a story of God's presence, and it begins in a place and it moves to a person, and then it moves to a people. That's, that's the story of God. Starts in a place, so a garden, and then a tent, and then a moving tent, and a tabernacle, and then a physical temple, and then it really shifts along. It moves from place to a person, Jesus Christ, <laughs> come the presence of God with us, the incarnation. And then in a sense, this Pentecost event represents the Spirit of God, the presence of God then locating itself in a people, plural people, lots of peoples, little Christs, the followers of Jesus are this new temple. And the Spirit of God has come upon the followers of Jesus, fulfilling, as we've read, this prophecy from Joel chapter 2, that God was going to be with his people, and in Christ, he's restored his presence back to be with the people, and that happened at Pentecost, and the Apostle Paul talks about this all throughout the New Testament. So you'll have heard language perhaps like, you were God's own people, we are his temple, 
we, the church, are his temple in the midst of the world. We're no longer strangers to God, but fellow citizens of the household of God. So there's a household imagery there. Being knit together in a holy temple in the Lord for a dwelling place of, the, of God in the spirit. So God's presence in Jesus doesn't end with Jesus' death and his resurrection and ascension. That's not the end. His presence is extended out into a people, into this new temple. Christians, people following Jesus, are now carriers of the presence of God no matter where they go. And they're sent out into the world. That's it. It's like we just kind of, this is Christian theology, but this is kind of radical. (laughs) It's really, really radical. So you are individually, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, but collectively we are a temple of God's presence. The Spirit of God is with us. Amazing stuff. So that's the first thing I want to I say. Presence, people, uh, presence in people. The second thing is there's an expansion theme, number two. This presence is expanding. It's not just in a small group, and I'm going to get into that now. God's on the move. And this Jesus story is a story of re- recreation. It's a story that says, this world's broken, and I'm going to make this world all new again. Shalom. I'm going to make it the way it's supposed to be. If you've had that feeling that this world is not quite right, there's injustice in the world, there's brokenness in our own lives, in our corporate lives. God sees that and is in the work of mending and making that whole again. And that's the big idea through his people. And so his disciples, now filled with the Holy Spirit, they spill out onto the streets and they're speaking all these different languages and they're bewildered and they're kind of these babbling Jesus followers, a little bit crazy it must have seemed to the surrounders. And they're amazed because these are Galileans. These are not particularly educated people and they're speaking all these different languages and that's where they make that accusation. They must be drunk. And Peter's like, no, we're not drunk because it's, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. And there's a geography lesson that happens then because in verse five of Acts chapter two, there's this tiny verse which says, now there were devout Jews from every nation. And Luke our multi-volume author <laughs> is trying to tell us something here in the story because this story is cascading out. This kind of universe is getting bigger. There's an expansion happening and there's 15 different regions and I kind of butchered half of them that are represented in that passage and Luke's trying to say this kind of small Jewish sect is now going global. It's not just that this small Jewish sect of Jesus followers gets the spirit of God and that's it. That people, it's like, no, not just that people, but like people, like it's going global. And Peter recommissioned, do you remember Peter? He's been recommissioned by Jesus again. He denied Jesus three times. He's back in the game. He's been recommissioned. And he preaches, he gets to his feet. If you read on in Acts chapter two, this famous kind of sermon. And it says 3,000 people were added to the church. Like the church just, like, in, a, in an afternoon, I assume, it just went from kind of a few people in an upper room to like 3,000 people. It said, receive the word and were baptized. And this is the birthday of the church. This is where it kind of started. This is where we can kind of trace back. Every church can trace itself back to this point. So what was a festival for Jews to celebrate the first fruits of their harvest or the giving of the covenant and the law? For Christians, it's, it's I guess you could think of it like it's like the... Celebration of the first fruits of this new thing. 
like the first evidence of this new thing that's happening in the world is, or it's like the, it's like, it's like another covenant has been made here, like a second covenant. It's like, and that law is, is written on our hearts, you know, as Ezekiel predicted. And so the first covenant, if you go back to Moses, you see 3,000 people worshiping a calf. You remember that story, perhaps, if you've been raised in Sunday school? Kind of there's like a mirroring image here of like 3,000 people in a new covenant on the day of Pentecost following Jesus. There's like all sorts of kind of interesting things that our multi-volume author Luke is trying to kind of do here. But I guess the big idea here is that the Spirit of God is filling people, all people, and it's going global. This story that we thought was just for the select few is expanding. And there's like a reversal happening. What was going on in like the Old Testament, what was going on in other places, there's like a kind of a, a great reversal. Life is replacing death. The Spirit is fulfilling the law. So I suppose beyond people carrying the presence of God, beyond expansion, I want to add a third idea in, which is inclusion. It's not just expansion, but it's inclusion as well. Because the Spirit has kind of broken out into all peoples. The Spirit has left the building. This, this, this movement was never supposed to be confined just to the upper room, to the select few Jesus followers. God's got more of the story to go here. And even those Jesus followers, they didn't fully understand it at that point. And Galatians chapter 3 says this. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So this is the kind of expansion and inclusion of the story. There's these barriers that have broken down in this one afternoon, this one event. And the Spirit of God has been poured out and the speaking of these different languages by the disciples that caused a bit of confusion. How are they able to do that? Is it a reversal in a way of a story in the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel? the Tower of Babel, when people in their arrogance tried to build a tower to reach God and they were scattered in all these different languages. What's the reversal happening here? Basically, what we love as human beings, what the spirit of the world loves is uniformity. Let's all look the same and speak the same way. But the spirit of God is not about uniformity, but it's about unity. And so giving this gift to these, to these apostles and these followers to be able to speak these different languages is honoring of the diversity, but it's actually functionally helping people feel united together. Do you get that? It's instead of like misunderstanding one another, we could kind of give everyone one language or we could say, no, let's honor the diversity here and let's help one another form and unite and come together. And that is essentially what the Spirit of God is doing. We want uniformity, but the Spirit of God wants unity. We want conformity. But the Spirit of God wants communion for everyone. So in this room, whether you're a male or female, whether you're young or old, whether you're gay or straight, whether you are educated or uneducated, whether you are unionist or nationalist or republican or loyalist, whether you're a royalist or you're not a royalist, the table's really, really, really long and there's room for everyone because the Spirit of God has left the building. 
and you're all invited to the party. The Spirit of God is all about unity, centering on Jesus. And that is why, like Dan opened our service today, saying we're a Jesus-centered community. And we really, it's, it's easy to say that we're about Jesus because we're a church. But when we say we're a Jesus-centered community, it, it really means that, that Jesus is at the center. And there's no kind of caveat to that. It's not like, but we also have beliefs about this, this, and this. Jesus is at the center, which means we can come in our diversity and we can find commonality and unity in the Spirit of Christ. And that's not easy, but it is the vision of God making this world one again. I can't see a better solution anywhere. I don't know if you've looked anywhere. I haven't looked to find it in politics, if I'm being honest. I haven't found it elsewhere. The church is messy and beautiful, and it's complicated, and we're trying to figure out our faith as we go. We're deconstructing it. We're reconstructing it. We're trying to figure out what we believe and what's important and what's not and what we should unite. But this is God's beautiful experimental project to create one people united in their diversity in the Spirit. And it's possible because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just about a nice feeling in a worship service. The Spirit of God leaving the building is about unity in diversity. It's about bringing people in. You wouldn't be in this room with the people in this room today if it wasn't for Christ and his spirit. It is the truth. There are people here with not two pennies to rub together. I know that. And there are people here who have lots of money. There are people who are not very educated in this room. And there are people who are very educated in this room. There are people in this room who are gay or straight. There are people in this room who are married or single, male or female, young or old. And there's a diversity, a beauty in the church in what the Spirit of God is trying to do. And I, I'm here for it. Is anyone else here for it? There's a great reversal that the Spirit of the world can't achieve, that the Spirit of God is moving forward and achieving breaking down barriers that once divided us. And that's why Peter quotes the, Joel, uh, the, the prophet Joel when he paints this picture of this remade world and he says this, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I get excited about the gospel in the church when I actually expose myself to what God is really about here. This great reversal, these barriers broken down, a people united, life displacing death, the mystery and the beauty of all of that. And there's a work of the Spirit that no government, no philosophy, no politic, no leader can do what the Spirit of God can do if we as followers of Christ give our yes to the Spirit, if we yield to the Spirit, if we say yes to what God is doing, if we say yes to Jesus, if we conform, if in a sense we yield to his way, we say we can't do this by our own means, but Spirit of God, fill us as your temple and help us to be that united humanity in the midst of this world. In parting, <clears throat> Jesus, in John 20, when he was with his disciples after his resurrection, 
He said what we've practiced this morning with our children. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is part of this plan that Jesus spoke about several times, including in John 20. Peace be with you. In a world where there's not very much peace, there's peace for us. Been talking about kind of a corporate vision there of what the church is. But maybe today you're in this room as an individual person and you're wondering, that's a great big vision, but today I, I don't know where I am, I'm at. I believe Jesus would say to you today, peace be with you. And it's peace that he's advocating and working for. Your peace, our peace, the peace for this world. In a world where death is our greatest foe, Jesus breathes life. In a world where COVID kind of took our breath, Jesus gives breath. In a world where systemic injustice squeezed the breath out of an individual person, Jesus gives breath, gives life, breathes. George Floyd's last words were, I can't breathe. And I can't get those words out of my head sometimes when I read these passages because Jesus breathes life by his Holy Spirit. And there is a great reversal, the work of God to fill everything in Christ and to bring that justice, that peace, that vision of humanity as it should be, that broken world made whole and mended. So today, Redeemer, we can celebrate the birthday of the church by celebrating our differences in this room. We can look at the differences in this room and look in the faces and the eyes of one another and our brothers and sisters in other churches across this land and across this world. And we can celebrate them as brothers and sisters because of Christ and because we are one in the Spirit, only by the Spirit. No other agenda, not our agenda, not church leaders' agenda, no other agenda can do it. But if we yield to the Spirit, there is a vision possible with a very long table where we can all belong in our diversity. I was reading this morning a passage. A little, it struck me this description of the church that I want to throw out there just to kind of finish our time before we move into communion. And it said this, the church is 2,000 year old, 2 billion strong revolutionary movement of love. It's the most culturally and socially diverse community on earth. And day by day, we conspire as the church to serve, forgive, and create beauty. Around the world, we seek to educate, liberate, and advocate for those who have no voice. Our gospel has inspired artists from Michelangelo to Aretha Franklin, activists from William Wilberforce to Martin Luther King, scientists from the physicist Sir Isaac Newton to the geneticist Francis Collins. It's the church born by the Spirit. And in the church and all its flaws and all its mess, and we struggle with it so much, there's still a beauty and a genius at the heart of God for the church. And I guess my invitation just today is that we not just celebrate our diversity, but that we give our yes to that vision of church that really God wants to build, that community that God wants to see come to fruition, and we participate with him in building it. I'd love you to stand, and I'd love Matt and Fra to come and lead us in another song.
Um, and as, I, as you stand, I'm, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but please do stand to your feet. And I have a, pre- a Pentecost prayer that I would love us all to pray together. It's a liturgy. It'll be on the screen. Um, I thought we'd just take a moment just to still our hearts and maybe Matt and Frack can play for us. And let's pray this together as a family, as a body, as a church, but let's pray this individually too. There's words of life in this prayer that I hope will encourage you today. Welcome, spirit, wind, animator, sustainer. You birthed the cosmos ever expanding, every system in perpetual motion. You circulate over earth, breeze across the surface of eternal waters, teasing waves to roll. You twist up the dusty ground and give dimension to your beloved. You inspire the dead, create space in the hearth of our being to welcome spirit, fire, the igniter of true life. Take up our hearts, surrendered, kindling before your breath. Spark to flicker, flicker to flame. Stoke the hearts of your people like floating embers off the tongue. One anthem will rise and emblazoned by faith will catch on like wildfire. Unity is the work of the spirit. Gather us to your life force, O God. Leave no coal unlit, not one soul in the cold. Thank you for tending to your light within us, O God. Thank you for sustaining the light of our souls. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you today for uh, your church and for your Holy Spirit who is here amongst us. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us the strength today to give our yes to your spirit, that we may receive your peace and your strength, but we would also receive the courage and the ability to participate in this vision of what church and what this community that you're building should be. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us afresh Fill our hearts. Bring your joy and your love and your life and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Matt and Fra are going to lead us um, in a song. Um, And so we're going to do our normal thing that we do every week here in Redeemer. So we finish our time at the table of Jesus, the bread and the wine behind me. And so if you're new here, Uh, We all come up to the front. It's kind of like a click and collect, a kind of joke. You kind of come and get your bread and your wine. Take that back to your table. Don't take it. Don't consume it. Just keep it with you. And then after the song is finished, I'll come up and lead us. And we will take the bread and wine together. Everyone is welcome at this table. There is no one policing this table. No one telling you you shouldn't be at this table. The only qualifier to come to this table of grace is that you want to be there. You want to be at Jesus' table in all its diversity. So you are welcome to come. Uh, Fran and Matt are going to lead us. Let's sing together.